Let's pray. Our God and Redeemer, we come before you now to receive your word. We ask you, God, that you would clear our minds and prepare our hearts to hear from you. We ask, God, that you would help us to think critically about your word and see how it applies to our very own lives. We pray that we would meditate on your word. We would take it with us and go out into the world. May we be faithful in what you've called us to do. Be your witness to a lost and dying world. In our dear Savior's name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text for this morning's sermon will be the entire chapter of Mark 13. Later on, this text will be on the screen, but, it will, but if you'll open, go ahead and open your Bibles now and keep Mark 13 open, I will refer back to it even after the slides on the screen disappear. Mark 13. About six months ago, my Sunday school class finished an in-depth study on the book of Revelation. I realized that many well-meaning Christians tend to shy away from this book as it seems a little intimidating trying to understand all that the Apostle John has written. The book of Revelation is an apocalyptic book, and while looking at Revelation, I tried to point out there are at least four different eschatological views that has been espoused throughout church history. I was first exposed to eschatology back in the early 70s when I read Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth. And years have passed, and then I was again confronted with eschatology at my first Air Force assignment in Arkansas. In 1989, I moved from Jacksonville, Arkansas, to North Pole, Alaska. The year before I moved, Edgar C. Wisnat wrote a pamphlet titled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Occur in 1988. Well, it's now 2017, and looking out at you guys, it hasn't happened, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. Wisnat was a former NASA um, rocket engineer living in Arkansas, and he predicted that the world would end sometime during the Jewish holiday in 1988. Many people in Arkansas, and actually all around the country, took him pretty serious. As a matter of fact, there was a young police officer who took him so serious that he sold everything he had. He sold his house, and he was waiting and prepared for the final day, which was to occur between September the 11th and September the 13th in 1988. Of course, after the 13th passed on, there was much talk in my office about this prediction and this young police officer who had sold everything, waiting for the world to come to an end. Now, this story may seem amusing or even sad, but let me ask you, what would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming back tonight? How would you spend the next few hours what would you do if you knew he was going to return one week from today or one month? How would your life change? I'm sure for this young police officer, his life radically changed after these dates had passed. Mark 13 contain, uh, chapter contains some prophecies about Jesus' return in the last days. Many people like to speculate uh, about these end times. I was curious, so I looked on Wikipedia just to see what it said, and so far there's been over 150 predictions according to Wikipedia when the world would end. Another website called 242 Dates for the End of Time chronicles 242 times when men predicted the end of the world. The next date we have to watch out for if you're keeping track is 2034. Mm -hmm. 
One of the missionaries I served with in Turkey, Jerry Maddox, has written a book about the end of times. He tells me the reason he wrote the book is that many Muslims are really interested in end time stuff. So he wrote the book as a bridge to be able to share the gospel with them. Not only people today are interested in end time events, but so were Jesus' disciples. They asked Jesus many questions, but when Jesus responds, he spends very little time answering their immediate questions. Instead, he warns them and encourages them. He gives them instruction for how to live in the last days rather than providing them with the detailed information on how and when these things will happen. Generally, most people, when they look at the, this passage in Mark 13, they immediately focus on what Jesus says about the end of time. They look at all the things that Jesus says is going to happen to this earth and when the end of the world will come, but they overlook the imperatives that he gives. So, in this sermon this morning, we're going to look at these imperatives that Jesus gives us. Jesus wants us to be prepared when calamity comes. Different theologians interpret this text different ways. Some say it's predicting future events that have not happened. Others, theologians, say that some of this has happened, but the rest of it will happen when the end comes. Then even another group of theologians say that it's already happened, actually it's cyclic, so it happens again and again. Again, I do not want to talk about when these things will happen, but I want to focus on what state of mind we need to have whenever this world seems topsy-turvy. So, as I read the entire text, I want you to look at the imperatives that Jesus gives. It'll be, again, it will be on the screen, but also in your Bible if you have them open. He gives to his disciples, we want to look at those imperatives that Jesus gives to his disciples and to us as this world seems to be out of control and spiraling down in disaster. So Mark 13, starting in verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you, do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when all these things will happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will, will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his home go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to, his, to get his cloak. 
How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those days will be of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that its summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man giving away, going away. Excuse me. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. <coughs> if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Some of the imperatives or commands that I saw as we read in this text are, one is in verse 5. It says, watch out that no one deceives you. In verse 7, don't be alarmed. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. Verse 11, do not worry beforehand. Verse 13, stand firm until the end. Verse 18, pray. Verse 21, do not believe it. Verse 23, be on your guard. Verse 28, learn this lesson. Verse 33, be on guard, be alert. And finally, in verses 35 and 37, Jesus says, keep watch. If possible, I would like to summarize all these commands into three categories. These three commands, which Jesus gave to his disciples and gave to us also, I believe it's these three commands that we must follow if we want to live lives worthy of Christ's calling in these last days. They are, one, Christ tells us to not be deceived. Two, Christ tells us do not panic or do not be alarmed. And finally, three, Christ tells us to be alert. So if you're taking notes this morning or if you're using the handout in your Bible, or excuse me, in the bulletin, these three commands will be the outline of the text. So our passage begins with Jesus and his disciples leaving the temple. The temple in Jerusalem was one of the great wonders of the ancient world. Herod the Great spent a large amount of money rebuilding the temple. Jesus' disciples were impressed with the massiveness of the building. They're proud of their, uh, the beauty of their temple. As Jews, they saw the temple as God's chosen place to meet with his people and the only place that they could offer sacrifices to God. But as they are leaving the temple, Jesus says this is all going to end. The temple was going to be destroyed. 
Jesus was speaking about that physical temple. He may have been pointing out that the real temple is not what's important. Jesus' prophecy comes to pass in 70 AD when the Roman emperor Titus destroyed Jerusalem and leveled the temple. Jesus' statement astounded the disciples and they further questioned Jesus when all of this was going to happen. And what will be the sign that it's about to be fulfilled? Although Jesus gives the disciples and us a description of what will happen, he does not give an answer of when it will happen. But Jesus does want his disciples and us to focus on how we are to live as we wait for these events to occur. So, for first one, Jesus tells us to not be deceived. In verse 5 and 6, and verses 21 through 27, focuses on the person of Jesus. In verse 5, Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and he, and will deceive many. Some will even perform signs and wonders. But Jesus says, do not be deceived. Do not be drawn away from the truth. Church historians tell us that after the death of Jesus, several people in Palestine came around and claimed to be the Messiah. Even today or in this past century, and uh, people have claimed to be the Messiah, like the Reverend Sun Young Moon of the Unification Church. Or others like the Jehovah Witness predicted that Jesus invisibly returned in 1914. Some people believe that Jesus was just a good man. He gave wonderful teachings, but he was just a man. Others say that, yes, Jesus was the Savior, but there's other ways to God. They say that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, are these some of the things you believe about Jesus? Do you see him as just a man who taught some good moral principles? Do you believe there are many paths to God? And Jesus is just one of the many ways to eternal bliss? Well, my non-Christian friend, you might be surprised to hear that Jesus made it very clear that he is the only way to God. And there is no other way to heaven. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mark points out that Jesus is not telling us to be led astray by false claims about himself. So let me ask you, how do we guard ourselves against these false teachings? In this passage, Jesus provides two answers. First, he talks about the method of his return. When Jesus returns, he will not come back as a baby in a manger. But in verse 26 says, he will come in the clouds with great power and glory. He will not come back invisibly as the Jehovah Witness said. In Revelation 1-7, we see that it says, behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. We will all know when Jesus comes back. It will not be a secret. Believers will rejoice at his coming, and the sinners will know their imminent destruction has come. A second way we can guard against being deceived is we depend on his word. In verse 31, Jesus says, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My Christian friend, we need to guard against being deceived. And how we do that is we need to depend on his word. We need to know God's word. We need to read it. We need to think about it. We need to meditate on it. We need to know it when false teaching comes to us. When you are listening to someone's teaching or someone's preaching, you need to compare it with the whole truth of God's word. For any teaching which is not according to the whole counsel of the Bible is false teaching. The second command that Jesus gives to his disciples and us is Jesus tells us, do not panic, do not be alarmed. 
Take a look at verses 7 through 20 again. What is described here? We see that there will be wars, earthquakes, and famines, arrests and beatings, betrayals of family members, hatred from everyone, more trouble than the world has ever seen before. Think about it. Jesus is describing terrible events that will occur. And at the same time, he said he's going to leave his disciples. When you think about it, these words don't sound very encouraging. Let me ask you, if I told you, hey, come and follow me, and after I leave you, some terrible things are going to happen to you. But it's okay, just follow me. Would you be encouraged? Actually, Jesus is really is encouraging his disciples. Look at verse 23 again. Jesus says, be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Jesus is telling his disciples and us ahead of time that we may be persecuted for our faith so that we will not be surprised. Think about it. If what Jesus says comes to pass, it can be a reassurance to us that God knows the future. And if we are in Christ, then we too know our future. In the end, we will be in heaven with him. When we are being hated because of him, when we are being betrayed, betrayed or persecuted, we can look back on Jesus' word and say, yes, he told me that this would happen. And I can still trust him in the midst of this trial. Persecution and martyrdom are not mistakes. They are not the result of evil forces frustrating God's plan. What men intended for evil, God intends for good. And he uses the evil decisions of men for his own glory and our good. And through his spirit, he gives us even the words to say in those extreme circumstances. Jesus' command is found in verse 5, literally reads this, you all take heed to yourselves. Jesus says to look after ourselves, our thoughts, our reactions, our worries. We must guard ourselves to make sure we understand that God is indeed sovereign, even when external events make things appear otherwise. Jesus tells us, expect trials and persecutions. I have told you ahead of time. Don't be surprised when they come but know that I am in control. I am sovereign over the affairs of men. I will use your suffering for your good and my glory by spreading the gospel through faithfulness even into death. I will even give you the words to say in these circumstances, so be faithful. C.S. Lewis in his short book, The Screwtape Letters, which centers on the senior demon Screwtape as he shares correspondence with his apprentice, nephew Wormwood. Throughout the correspondence, Screwtape counsels Wormwood on how to tempt his patient away from heaven and into hell. In one of his letters, Screwtape writes to his nephew regarding Wormwood's patient's apprehension of being called to military service during World War II. Screwtape writes the following, My dear Wormwood, I am delighted to hear that your patient's age and profession makes it possible, but by no means certain, that he will be called up for military service. We want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one which will arouse hope or fear. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He wants men to be concerned with what they do, but our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Lewis rightly points out that if men could be gripped with fear of the future, they will also be gripped with the uncertainty of the present. 
Our minds will be constantly on the trials and hardships of life and not on the certainty that God is in control of all things, even when in the midst of trials and persecution. We can be worrying so much about the present that if we're not careful, it can immobilize us and keep us from doing our day-to-day activities. To my, excuse me, to my, non, to my Christian friend, the psalmist reminds us in Psalms 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Then in verse 7, the psalmist tells us, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me speak to the, not my non-Christian friends. Do you have this assurance? Do you have this peace that God is in control of every detail of your life? Or let me ask you in a different way. How can you have this assurance? How can you have this peace? It is only through the, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth not to be just a good example for us to follow, but he came to be the Savior for sinners who are enemies of God. Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for men and women, who do not, or nor cannot, measure up to God's holy standard. He lived the perfect life, fulfilling all the requirements of God, and then was crucified on a cross, buried, and then rose from the dead three days later for all those who would repent and believe and place their trust in him. The final command Jesus gives to his disciples and to us is be alert. This word actually appears three times in the concluding verses of the chapter. Although Jesus does not answer the disciples' question of when these things will take place, but it does say that they're always to stay alert. He's telling them not to be lazy. He's telling them not to be uncaring. He's telling them to go about the work that he has commissioned them to do, obey and to obey his commands. Jesus has called his disciples to share the gospel. He's called us to share the gospel. So we're not to be lazy just because the world seems crazy. We're not to sell everything we have like the young police officer and wait for the return. We're to fulfill our calling. We're to act in obedience. We're to stay alert. To encourage constant diligence, Jesus tells the parable of the doorkeeper. Look at verses 34 through 37. Jesus says the master goes on his journey assigning a task to each of his servants and asking the doorkeeper to guard the entrance. What is the doorkeeper doing at the door? He's to watch lest someone deceives and gains interest into the house and wreck and ruin and rob the house. What did Jesus put the disciples in charge of? They're to guard the church. They're to evangelize the nations, to add it to God's kingdom. Why does God put pastors and elders in charge of churches? They're to guard the church. They're to make sure that no wolves enter into the church and try to devour the flock. Notice that the word is not past tense, but it's present continuous tense. There is a continual guarding of the church and its doctrine until our master returns. We are to be continually fulfilling the commands Jesus gives in Matthew 28. We are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let me conclude. To my non-Christian friend, let me ask you again, what would you do if you knew Jesus was going to return at midnight? Would you go about doing good deeds for your neighbors or to the people who are less fortunate? Would you try to reconcile with people who you have offended? 
Let me urge you to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your only means of salvation. If you want to talk more about this, please take a moment to talk with one of the elders of the church or a person you came with, or I'll be down front at the end of the service. For my Christian friend, let me ask you again, what would you do if you knew that Jesus would return at midnight? I suspect most of you, like me, would be about the Master's work at a very rapid pace. We'd probably pray more, read our Bible more, witness more. But what does Jesus say here in this passage? He tells us to do not be deceived, do not be alarmed, and to be alert. We are not to wait until night before he comes to practice these commands. No, Jesus' warning in this chapter are for each of us right now. We're not to be deceived about, he says, do not be deceived about me. Jesus is God and Lord. He died for you. Don't be led astray by pseudo-Christ and false teaching, but hold fast to the truth revealed in his word. Don't be alarmed. Prepare for persecution and opposition, yet don't worry. Have confidence that Jesus is in control. Endure to the end, and he will take you for himself. Be alert. There's a war going on. Do your work diligently, and let your Savior find you doing it when he returns. Watch out so that you may protect yourself and others from evil attacks. Al Mohler speaking on Paul Krugman's article in the New York Times titled Addicted to the Apocalypse points out that Krugman seems to wonder why human beings are so focused on warnings of catastrophe. Mohler reminds us that warnings of an apocalypse are deeply embedded within the Christian conscience because we know eventually they are true. He says, we are very much aware of an apocalyptic fear that is deeply in the human psyche because they are deeply in the human conscience. There is a judgment coming, and not only a judgment, but a judge, a holy judge. Mulder is correct this world will one day end, and everything will be destroyed, and all people who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ will stand before a holy and righteous God. But for those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear, because Jesus took the full brunt of God's wrath for us. We have been judged in Christ, our sins have been atoned for, and we have been forgiven. Therefore, Jesus tells us in our passage today to do not be deceived, do not be alarmed, and be alert. Let's pray. Lord God, in times of uncertainty, give us the fortitude to not panic. Remind us that you are our strong tower and refuge. The righteous run to you. Father, we can rest assured that although this world seems out of control, you are always in control. We may not understand why evil befalls us or why we face days of uncertainty, but what we do know is that you are sovereign and nothing, absolutely nothing, catches you by surprise. So God, teach us to trust in you and your holy word when men try to deceive us with their false teachings and persuasive words. And finally, God, may we long for the day when you will return and may we be faithful to proclaiming the peace that you bring to broken people. We pray all this in our wonderful Savior's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.